Good morning. morning. Great to see you. Great to be here again, worshiping God. Um, I, uh, this week, again, I've been working down at the, at the new food bank house all week. And I don't know what it is. I, I can't quite put into words uh, the, what happens inside of me when I see <laughs> the change taking place. I, and I've bored a few people over this. I t- you know, every time they blot some new paint on the wall, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it's like brand new, it's so clean. Like, you know, like a cracked record going round and round. But it does, it does something to me. I'm completely blown away when you take this uh, old, beaten up, disused, boarded up, you know, rack of a place, abandoned, and we're seeing like new life come to it, and uh, man, it just does. So I get a buzz from that, and I was kind of thinking about that, and a thought to, a thought came to my head, and I think it was God speaking to me, and and it was like He said, "You know how you feel. <laughs> you know how excited you get about seeing that building change. You get sort of bowled over and wowed by that." He said. That's how I feel when, when you, when I look at you, I need to talk in plural, the church, when my people, when I look at you and I see change, and I see areas of your life coming back to life and being changed, I get that as well. You see, so try and imagine that, try and think about that, imagine how I feel when I look at you and see you reaching your potential that I have for you. God loves it. And you think, I, I just get a little snapshot, just a little tiny scratch of an idea of what God feels about seeing change take place in us, his people. Change, transformation. God desires it. God loves it. And he loves it so much um, to see it taking place within us. And, and this is why I'm taking such a long time talking about how transformation comes about in our lives in this series, Living It. You know, we've been going over since the beginning of the year and it's probably going to take another, well, it's going to take us up to the summer, I'm sure, uh, going through this. Uh, and, and that's intentional because it's so, it means so much to God. Change and transformation. So we're talking about uh, living it, living the life that God has called us to live. Uh, we're saying that for us to be disciples, so apprentices of Jesus, uh, that means that we order our lives around three goals, you know, being like with Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. So no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, where your background, no matter how old you are, no matter what you do for a living, or if you're beyond now having to make a living, no matter who you are, God has a purpose. And God has a purpose in, in you, and that is spending time with him daily. And that is actually becoming gradually more and more like him in terms of your character and your personality. And also then doing the stuff, we say here, yeah, doing the stuff that Jesus did when he was on the earth. <clears throat> and to sum that up, and to use the biblical language, it's to be transformed. That's the goal. That's our main goal, to be a transformed people. 
And so the question that we have kind of very slowly been walking through and answering, it's a long time, is if, if transformation is that special to God, if he just loves to see that change taking place in us so much, then how on earth do we do it? How do we, how do we change? Because the vast majority of us would have to admit we're not there yet. Right? We haven't arrived on this journey of change. We're not like Jesus. Ultimately, we're not like that image that he has uh, for us. So that's why we've been working through this spiritual uh, formation uh, image here. Um, by the way, all these talks that are recorded, and I'm going to make a real big effort this over the next week or two to get them on the website so you can actually go back, re-listen. And so important, actually, I think what we've walked over already has been phenomenal, so challenging to me. I love it. I've loved it every minute of it. Um, and also, if you haven't listened to uh, been around, I don't know if there's anybody kind of new around, but at least you can listen and catch up uh, on, on what we're doing. So that'll happen over the next week or so. So we've gone through the teaching section, how teaching gets into our mind, transformation starts its journey in our mind. We've talked about practices um, the last couple of weeks. So this week, what I want to do is get us started on this whole thing about community, this component called community. Change takes place in community and we're going to linger on this a little bit for about two, three weeks, maybe four weeks. It's going to be good, really, really good stuff. Um, so transformation, spiritual formation really only takes place within the context of community. Community, togetherness is so vital to change. Now in spite of the fact that you know, today we're more technologically connected than ever before as a society with the rise of social media, you know, Facebook and all those sorts of things, the internet as a whole. And I'm talking across the board, you know, where, you know, social, economic, age, range. We are more connected digitally today than we've ever been. And despite that, the number of people who tick lonely in their descriptor uh, box, or they have no close friendships, no close family members. Uh, the number of people that fall into that category has gone through the roof in this country. A couple of years ago, I shared, I was talking, I can't remember what I was talking on, but I shared about a study that was reported in the Daily Telegraph. It was a, a study conducted by the Office for National Statistics. Now, in the study, Britain was compared to all the other European countries and we scored particularly low when it comes to the loneliness uh, thing. In fact out of the 28 EU uh, countries we were right down about we were 26 on, on, the, uh, on the table. We were kind of dubbed as the loneliness capital of Europe. More than one in ten people within our country say that they don't have a single confidant, somebody who they can uh, trust and uh, go to with their deep issues in their life or that they can depend on if crisis kind of hits their life. Yeah, one in ten don't have that. Mother Teresa, she said this, <clears throat> loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. 
loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And according to the studies, I think she's onto something. She was onto something uh, then. So in, the, in this digital age that we're in, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we've got WhatsApp, Messenger, Twitter, and FaceTime, and all of these different things. So we're, we're more connected than ever before. But the thing is, connectivity is not the same as community. <laughs> They're different things altogether. In fact, connectivity is like a distortion. It's like an illusion of community. It's like a, a, an illusion of intimacy. So in our society, we're more connected, and yet at the heart of our culture, there is this deep ache of loneliness. There is this deep desire for community, and yet we're more connected. So let's make a, a start, and we'll start looking at what the Jesus way, then, of community, how he teaches about what true community is all about. So we're going to start off, we've got a number of Bible passages we're going to look at. We'll start off in Matthew 4, from verse 18. <coughs> Looks like we're all following on the wall. Yeah. That's okay. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So question, did Jesus call one disciple. It's not a trick question. <laughs> did he call? Now, he didn't. He called a number of disciples that we just read. He called Peter and Andrew and James and John. And this was just the beginning. I mean, he was just getting started at this point. So Jesus, he starts, he's calling out uh, these guys to find these good Jewish guys from Galilee. But Jesus is so non-conventional. He is so outside of the norm when it comes to rabbis calling people to follow. And it wasn't just the religious people. Look at Matthew 9, down at, uh, verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. We were talking about Matthew just a, a few weeks ago. It goes on, uh, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Then he quotes from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I just love Jesus. He is just so unconventional, so radical. So, I, I mean, I talked about this a short while ago. Tax collector, you know? Tax collector is a guy who's 
sold up and he's like working for Rome. These are your oppressors. And he's like working for them. Um, his friendship circle was, not surprisingly, other tax collectors and sinners, the Bible says. And that phrase is just a, a first century term for non-religious, non-believing Jewish men or women. So already you see that there's this real variety developing of people that Jesus is calling into this small new community, this new way. Then take a look at Matthew 10. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, Jesus had obviously hundreds, if not thousands of disciples, but these are kind of the names of these like inner circle of, of friends. So he says, first, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who we've just been reading about those. Also, Philip and, uh, and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, there he is. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, um, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, what I find quite interesting is the only two men within that list who actually get a, uh, like a descriptor to who they are. It's, well, it's Matthew, who just spoke about it. He's a sellout. He's actually working for Rome. And the other guy is Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots are interesting characters. They are uh, this kind of violent, rebel, political group of Jewish people uh, in first century Jews. They, they were, these men were heavily opposed to Roman occupation. Um, and they just attempted everything to expel the, the, Romes, oh, the, Romes, the Romans from, uh, from their land. And they used all sorts of guerrilla tactics to actually uh, fight Rome. They were called Sicarii, which translates to dagger men. And the reason for that is they would walk around, they conceal a dagger under their cloak, and they'd walk around in the crowds, and they'd walk up to a, military, a Roman military official and just go, boom, slice his throat, and disappear back into the crowd again so you didn't know he was there. They were ruthless, uh, violent bunch. So among Jesus' community of followers, followers, you've got Matthew, who works for Rome, who's working for Rome, and Simon, who wants to kill everybody that's associated with Rome. Can you imagine having Matthew and Simon in your Bible study group? <laughs> Do you think they got along? <laughs> Do you think they talked politics? Do you think that went down well? <laughs> no, I, I don't think they did. I think there was tension um, within that. And so Jesus, he brings together this community of followers of all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of personalities. There must have been clashes left, right and centre. It must have been really difficult sometimes. There was another two um, uh, disciples, James and John, they were nicknamed by Jesus, Sons of Thunder. And by the way, that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> when Jesus called you Sons of Thunder, I thought it was. It was literally that they were just known for being so fiery, uh, these two. There was a story where Jesus 
he's going into a small village and he's being opposed. He's kind of being resisted by these Samaritans. James and John, they're like, Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume these, like, this completely destroy this village? That was their attitude. Jesus came down on them pretty heavy. You know, he's probably... Was you listening when we talked on the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> was you making notes uh, back then? I don't think he was. <clears throat> but the point was, we can often have this idealised picture of this diverse community coming together. Oh, yes, this is wonderful thing. All these different people from different backgrounds come together, getting along sweet, and it was lovely. It was wonderful. I think the reality was everything but <laughs> wonderful. Not all the time. I don't think it was problems all the time, but I think a lot of the time, I think it was very, very difficult. I bet they didn't get along with each other all that well, all the time. See, often we see, and often we all, all we want to see, is the ideal of community on one side. But then, of course, on the other side, there is the messy reality of community. And right in the middle of that space is where discipleship happens. Right in the middle. It does. Honest. There you go, there. <laughs> discipleship takes place in that space in between. Now the tension, that tension of the idealised picture um, of community on the one side and the, the messy reality on the other is a pattern that we actually see throughout the New Testament church. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 2. Now this is the church that just, the Holy Spirit's just come and he's just now birthed, if you like, the, the, it's, this is like the church has just started. It's brand new. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? It's just like a wonderful picture of you know, the early church. Fellowship, eating together, hanging out, everything in common, sharing things. Wow. We get a similar snapshot again, next couple of chapters on, Acts chapter 4. This is exactly the same church. It says uh, in verse 32, all of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the res resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, they, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and brought it to the apostles' feet and it was distributed and, uh, to anyone who had need. Again, it's just amazing, wonderful picture of community. You know, you can't read these verses and not think, man, the church was so much better then. 
If we could only just be like the church, the New Testament church, the old, the original church, if we could just get back to being like that. <clears throat> but what's this? Chapter 5 of Acts. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of, uh, piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at his apost- the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money all money at your possession? disposal what made you think of doing such a thing you have not lied just to human beings but to God when Ananias heard this he fell down and died and a great fear seized all who had heard what happened <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding uh, then some young, young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him away oh if we could just get back to being like the original church <laughs> Yeah, do you really think that? Really? (laughs) The point is, this is the church that's under the leadership of the very first apostles. It's brand new, as I was saying, it's brand new. And you know what? It's not all roses and marshmallows. It's not just all wonderful. There is this gap between the ideal picture of community and the messy reality of community and it's in that space in between where discipleship takes place and for the many of us living life in that tension in that in that space in between is hard if we're honest it's 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 hard it's not easy sometimes when we experience a clash of personalities diverse personalities sometimes we bring our own agendas which often ends up Screwing everything <laughs> up anyway. Um, you know, all these things are going on. Sometimes we feel hurt and let down by others. Sometimes we, we get ticked off because other people don't respond like I would respond or they don't respond how I think they should respond. But this is the church existing in that gap. That's what the church looks like. This is where discipleship to Jesus happens. Now, the, the, the kind of key point um, this morning is that Jesus didn't call a disciple, did he? He called disciples, plural. And the idea being is a, a disciple, a follow, of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, you cannot do it on your own. You just can't. Disconnected from others and disconnected from the church and trying to be a disciple is totally alien to the scriptures. You can't find it anywhere. It just can't happen. It ha- you know, transformation and discipleship happens in community. Never do we read that Jesus and Peter changed the world. You know? It was Jesus, Peter, James and John, or Jesus and the... 12 or Jesus and the 72 or Jesus and the 100 or Jesus and the thousands but there was tension in the midst of all of that it wasn't some kind of perfect utopian uh, reality it was messy and there was pain and there were moments of anger and there was moments of indignance 
and discord. There was a time where two, actually the Sons of Thunder, you know, these hoopy guys, the Sons of Thunder guys, their mother, they were kind of hiding behind their mum. <laughs> Hi mum, can you go and have a chat with Jesus for us? She comes up to Jesus and she says, can you do us a favour? When you come into your kingdom, can you like reserve two special places for my, my boys? And Jesus was like, you haven't got a clue what you're asking. <laughs> you haven't got a clue. But it says that the other disciples heard what was going on. It said they were indignant. That's just kind of a polite word saying they, they were... Oh, I nearly said it then. <laughs> they were ticked off. <laughs> Whew. When I was telling Angie about this, I actually said it, didn't I? And, uh, oh. They were beat off. They were, they were really uh, ticked by it. So there was tension. It wasn't a perfect utopian reality. It was messy, but it was community. It wasn't a, you know, being digitally connected through Facebook or texting one another. some virtual intimacy around texting or tweeting one another. Sounds rude, doesn't it? Tweet, <laughs> Tweet you later, mate. All right. It was true community, and they grew and grew to be more and more like Jesus. It was amazing. Now, I'm going to finish with, with that. Um, next week, what I'm going to do is wrap up this first part. We're going to actually look more about how community brings about change. Why is it so effective at bringing about change? We've got five or maybe six uh, points that we're going to look at on how we grow as disciples within the context of community. Are you excited? <laughs> you liars. No, um, I, <laughs> I am. Why don't we, let's stand and pray, shall we?